Today the scripture comes from Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, these are sonnets for Jonah, despair and hope. Down to the bottom of the sea I sink, trapped in the gut of a diving sea thing, with, I suppose, plenty of time to think. Desperate thoughts form in my mind and cling. The darkness lends itself to my despair. I am all abandoned, lost, cast away. God has turned his face from me. Does he care? I do the only thing left, and I pray. In my mind's eye, I watch the words rising to God. Will he accept my repentance? My gut then wrenches once, twice, advising. I feel the waves swell once more, then silence. But then I hear an answer, a small sound. It seems the ear of God my prayers have found. A small victory, perhaps, but he's here. I feel the hope roll off me in a wave. God sent me to this place, a seed of fear, but he did not leave me to my own grave. He'll rescue me, I feel it in my bones, and I, I will follow him through the horde. Whatever that means, through all the unknown, I proclaim salvation comes from the Lord. I will not turn from you, though others spurn. I see you for the love you are and praise your name on high, even in the downturn. You brought me life when all else was ablaze. God wins, I'll do it, I'm ready to fight. My world upends, then all is blinding light. Thank you, Ashley. Each week that we've been in um, this Jonah series, um, and we'll continue to do since we're halfway through, um, each time we hear the scripture and stand to, to read the scripture, um, after that, we've invited members of our community to have creative responses, which um, have just been really powerful. So thank you, Ashley, for that. Um, good morning. Good morning. Oh, that was good. Like on the first try, that was like nice. Um, my name is Andrea. I am part of the pastoral staff here, and I'm excited to continue our series in Jonah this morning. So we kicked off the series last week. Um, we're doing a month on Jonah. Jonah has four chapters, and we're doing one per week. So it works out pretty nicely that we're doing a month on on Jonah. Um, we've titled the series, um, Jonah, A Story of God's Love. And I'll admit that studying Jonah this time around, especially through this um, particular lens of God's love, has been um, surprising and, uh, and revelatory for me. It's, a di it's different. Um, last week when 
Justin asked, he asked something like, do, what do you remember about Jonah, about the story of Jonah? I loved hearing those answers. Um, it's such a very particular story, I feel like. Um, and I know this isn't the case for everybody, but I also have some very particular associations with uh, the story and the book of Jonah. I grew up as a good little pastor's kid uh, in the 90s. So my strongest association with Jonah is what somebody mentioned last week, which is the VeggieTales movie about Jonah. Real quick, um, for those of you who might have grown up outside of a very specific Christian evangelical culture as like regular people, um, VeggieTales was a kid show cartoon thing featuring talking vegetables telling Bible stories. Um, so for those of you who are like me and have strong emotional ties to the show, um, you, you need to concede with me. The whole premise of Veggie Tales, like at best is weird. Like it's, <laughs> it's weird. Uh, so yeah, that's, um, that was my first thought was somebody was like, Veggie Tales, and I was like, yes, that's it. That's my, my association with the story of Jonah uh, is with a cucumber or asparagus, whoever it is, is Jonah. Uh, I feel like I think of that or, simultaneously, I also think of an image like this, um, where it's like Jonah is like contritely asking God for forgiveness. He's very clean and like fully clothed and got shoes on inside of like a very um, neat, perfectly sized stomach of a whale that is smiling. It's a happy face whale. Um, yeah, these are, these are my associations. I'm just telling you, these are my associations with Jonah. And I think uh, the story has in a lot of ways been really sterilized for us. Um, we tell this story to kids, which is fine, and kids need to learn stories like this. And also, like, why is this what I remember about Jonah? So it's been, it's been good to kind of look at it through a different lens. I mean, I think... Besides these images, I think the general message that I've kind of carried from the book of Jonah has been something like, don't disobey God because then you're going to get punished in some kind of metaphoric whale until you recant. <laughs> like that's, I think of a smiling whale and also I'm afraid that like this is going to happen to me. It's like a warning. And as I've looked at the story more closely this week, um, I've been struck by the real power of, of Jonah's narrative. It's, it's not a story of punishment. Um, it's not a story of warning, even. It's, it's actually a story that reveals who God is um, and reveals God's love and God's compassion, even though it's a story mainly about Jonah. So, so yeah, so, Jonah, so Justin kicked us off last week with chapter one. So to recap real quick, Jonah was a prophet who in this story is called by God to go to Nineveh, which is the home of um, his enemies. And he's called to proclaim the judgment of God upon their wickedness. So Jonah does not want to do this. So instead of going to Nineveh, he decides to go the literal opposite direction towards a place called, called Tarshish and the open sea. So he's supposed to go... Um, to uh, Nineveh, which is on the left of your screen, and instead he goes, oh, it's, oh, it's to the left of on, for me, but you're right. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Good looking out. Um, so he's supposed to go to Nineveh, which is that way. Instead, he goes to, towards Tarshish, which is that way, like literally the opposite. It's funny how like far away they are from one another. 
Um, <laughs> so while he's on the boat, headed that way towards Tarshish, God stirs up this big storm and all the sailors are like freaking out and they're trying everything they can to survive in this storm. So they're throwing out cargo. They all begin praying to like the different deities that they worship for help. Everybody except for Jonah, who's asleep in the, in the ship hold. So eventually, uh, Jonah admits that the storm is because of him and he tells the other sailors to throw him overboard, which they do. Um, and being thrown overboard on a voyage like this typically meant death because you weren't going to be able to swim yourself somewhere. Um, and it's in the middle of a storm. Um, but here in the story, Jonah is saved by a large fish sent by God to swallow him and protect him from the sea. And this was our cliffhanger ending last week at the end of chapter one. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here's where we pick up today. Jonah's in the belly of, of a big fish, presumably considering his choices. Um, and we're presented with a prayer in chapter two. So before we dive into the prayer though, I, I wanna talk about the fish. So Justin walked us through a bit more of the background of the book of Jonah. If you didn't get to listen, um, you can find it on the podcast. Um, but he walked us through a bit more of the background of the book, the context, and, and the scholarly discrepancies on how factual or historical, um, historically accurate the book is. Um, because of its historical context and its structure, it's likely that the book of Jonah um, is a satire or a parable and not necessarily historically factual. That being said, a lot of time has been spent on figuring out what kind of fish could swallow a person and whether or not the human body could survive. Um, and if that's interesting to you, there's a lot out there. I would push you that way. You can do it yourself. Um, all that to say, I want to be really clear that you can hold different views on the factual or, or historical nature of the story. Um, you can be sort of on either side or somewhere in the middle, and you can still be taking the Bible and the role of Scripture very seriously. Um, and that's what we're doing. So for, for us today and throughout this series, uh, we're not going to try to convince you of a particular stance, um, but rather we're going to attempt to together get at the meaning of the narrative, um, to understand what we can learn about God and about God's engagement with humanity. So instead of asking the question today, was the fish real? Um, we're gonna assume for our purposes that this story is at least a parable, at least. Um, and we're gonna spend our time engaging some other questions like what can we learn about God through God's actions in this story? And what can we better understand about humanity and our own tendencies and our engagement with God? So that's, that's kind of the framework that we're working with today as we look at chapter two. So Jonah is in the belly of a fish at this point in our story and he's praying to God. So let's look at chapter two. We'll start in verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. So you might recognize that Jonah's prayer reflects and sort of echoes a lot of um, psalms that have similar language. I think, though, that it's still really striking to me that this is the first thing that he says in his prayer. Um, I called to the Lord and he answered me. 
I think the way that we remember the story of Jonah and his journey in chapter one a lot of the time is that he runs away from what God is calling or asking him to do, and he does, that is what he does, but that's not all he's running from. Real quick, back to chapter one in verse three. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So not only has Jonah been running from God's call and this ask that God is, is making of him, he's trying to outrun God's presence. I think it's funny that Jonah doesn't pray until chapter 2, um, even though all the sailors are doing it and also pleading with him during the storm to do the same thing. They're like, why aren't you praying? By getting on the boat in the opposite direction, by refusing to pray, Jonah is attempting to resist the presence of God. And this is the thing that I've been really struck with the most studying this chapter, what I really feel strongly from the Spirit and what I, I want us to sit with today is God's constant presence, even while Jonah is resisting. Even though this story is about Jonah, we cannot miss the persistence of God's presence and God's movement at every turn despite Jonah's actions and despite Jonah's circumstances. The first line of Jonah's prayer here is the first acknowledgement that he's made of God's presence even though God's presence has not wavered. I called to the Lord and he answered me. I cried and you heard my voice. I mean, I think there are a lot of stories that we could recount in the Bible of God like calling people to do stuff and them like doing it and going for it and moving into it very quickly. But not Jonah, not my man Jonah. His narrative I feel like is very dissatisfying in a lot of ways. Um, his journey is really messy. Um, it never cleans up nicely with a bow. I mean, we're already in the, this is chapter two of four. So we're already in the middle of the story. Um, Jonah has, has not like cleanly repented of, of literally running away from God. Um, and, spoiler alert, the book ends in a similar way with no, like, clean, tied-up resolution of how Jonah responds. It's like we're in the middle of this bigger story, a bigger journey, without knowing what happens, and we don't get it resolved. But again, the thing about that I found so significant is that God is still there. God is there. God's presence is there. And this has resonated with me so much this week, the idea that, um, that God is with us in the middle before we've arrived anywhere, when we are unsure, when we're making mistakes, even when we're running in the opposite direction. We, I think we live in this culture that, um, that certainly values arrival over the getting there. Like we're expected to know everything already and be completely steady and confident and grounded before we're taken seriously at all. If you have questions, ugh. We have to have everything figured out about our own identity and our history and our issues before we can like enter into a conversation and have a valid perspective. Um, making mistakes feels unacceptable a lot of the time. And I mean, in earnest, it's been the same with our faith too, right? We're expected to have everything figured out theologically, like all the deep mysteries of God and scripture and then our messy lives before we are acceptable to others and to God. Certainty rules our day, a lot. And I mean, I'll say this is something that 
we're really adamant about here in this community that being in the middle of a journey, being uncertain, um, having doubts, having questions, does not preclude you from or suspend the presence of God in your life. There are a lot of us in this community who have and are currently deconstructing like our childhood or our, our past faith. It's a confusing place to be. I'm one of those people. And maybe you're there too with me. Maybe you're starting to build a little bit again. Maybe you've just opened yourself up to a community, to people. Again, maybe you have questions. Maybe you are not sure how to reconcile faith with politics or faith with any of the prominent issues that we face today. Maybe you're actually running from God right now. Maybe you're actually unsure of what that means. Maybe you're questioning everything that you've ever believed or ever thought and have no idea where to go. This morning, I want to tell you, and I feel so strongly about this, God has not left you. God is with you. It's from the middle of Jonah's journey that this prayer is offered up to God. It's in the middle that, that Jonah proclaims that God has heard his prayer because God has not left him. Nothing has been resolved. He's found himself in this self-made situation in which he is in the belly of a large fish under the sea. And I mean, the author of the story really drives in just how deep down Jonah was. So in chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In the ancient Near East, um, three days and three nights time would be really significant. Um, it was the amount of time that, was needed, that needed to elapse to ensure that someone actually was, was deceased. It was also mythologically the amount of time it would take for someone to travel to the underworld, the world of the dead, also sometimes called Sheol. This passage of time emphasizes for us in this story that Jonah was at the point of death. He was at the lowest point that someone could get. And Jonah says this too in his prayer. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. He was in the heart of the sea, the deep surrounded him. He was in the pit. Jonah has reached rock bottom at this point in the story. And it's interesting that in the story so far, again, we see Jonah progress downward. Like you watch him go lower and lower in his effort to escape God's presence, to withdraw away from it. In chapter 1, Jonah's found in the hold of the ship, which is below the deck, asleep during the storm. Once he's thrown overboard, he goes further down, again, as he tells it in his, in his own prayer, into the heart of the sea, under the waves, to the root of the mountains, to the pit. Now, all of this was his choice. This was his attempt to get away from God, and he makes it to the very bottom. But even there, at rock bottom, he finds that God is there. God gives Jonah the freedom to run away, but even as he reaches his destination, God is waiting there to meet him. Chapter 2, verse 7, As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. While Jonah was in the deep, in the dark, God heard and responded to his prayers. And it is the same for us, not only is God present in the middle of our journey, God is present when we are at our lowest points, when we are at our rock bottoms. God is with us in the pits of our lives. I feel like this is a really simple message, but it's just been so profound to me 
not only is God with us in the middle of stuff before we figured it all out, God is with us when everything, when the bottom falls out and we're at rock bottom, God is still there and waiting to meet, to meet with us. Jonah's prayer echoes, um, echoes some verses in one of the Psalms, in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. We did a series on Psalms a couple of years ago and in this Psalm really specifically, we talked about how God is present in places that are physically dark, but God is also present in other dark places like despair and like shame and guilt and anxiety and rejection and disappointment. Like God did with Jonah, God waits for us in those dark places too. God is not scared away by our stumbling around by um, when we fail. God's not scared of that. God is not afraid even of our rejection of God. He's not afraid of that. No, God remains, and even in the darkness, in the pits, those things are still light to God. Prayers made in the pit at the lowest, absolute lowest point, can reach the highest heavens because God's presence fills in that gap between them. It, it's not out of, even out of our desperation. It's not out of our actions. It's not even out of our repentance. It's because God's presence is already there filling in that gap. I think that we've done a lot of damage by um, making God's presence seem conditional. Like God will only stay near to me if I live a certain way or if I um, uphold a specific kind of lifestyle, if I'm like flawless or if I believe a particular thing or if I never make a mistake. If I doubt or if I fail or if I'm not sure anymore, if my life isn't going the way that I thought or if I'm tired or if I wanna give up, that God will withdraw and I will be alone. But this is not true. The prophet Jonah's prayer resists this idea. While Jonah was actively running from God, God did not leave him. In fact, God continued to both patiently wait and actively move in Jonah's life and in Jonah's circumstances while Jonah had like his fists clenched and his eyes shut. God is with us. And even more, I think Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish also allows us to understand that the pits in our lives are not punishment. While there are obviously consequences to every decision that we make, good or bad, God is not throwing us like in pits in order to bide time to like punish us. God continues to be close to us in all the situations that we find ourselves in and even those situations that we put ourselves in. The fish is, in Jonah's case, is in fact his deliverance. This pit is, is deliverance for Jonah. Had it not been for the fish provided by God, Jonah would have perished at sea. 
I don't know exactly how we end up in the pits that we end up in. I think sometimes it's because of choices that we make intentionally. I think it's sometimes because of choices that we make unintentionally. I think sometimes it's completely outside of our control. Um, I don't know the exact like theological ratio or like rationale of what God allows us to walk through and what God might like quote unquote ordain for us to walk through. We could sift through that for the rest of our lives and we will, that's what we'll do, I don't know. What I do know though is that God is in the pits like God is in the heights and what we do or don't do doesn't change that. So getting back to Jonah's prayer. It was interesting reading through the prayer this week and studying it. Um, And honestly, I found some of Jonah's prayer a little bit problematic. To be fair, I got to give credit to Jonah for praying immediately after he's like full out rejected the Lord. Who does that? That's real, right? Who does that? Um, I mean, and on top of that, Jonah's prayer is very human, which is one of the things that makes the Psalms significant. We've said that about the Psalms. They don't hold back in their humanness. Just everything comes out. But I think reading Jonah's prayer this week, um, I realized how self-centered it is. It's really self-centered. I mean, I guess the reason that I find Jonah's prayer problematic um, is maybe because I just feel personally attacked by the lesson we are meant to learn here. You know those, like, uh, those, those memes that are, like, critical of a personality trait and you recognize them in yourself and you, like, make the face where you're like, Ooh. like, it's funny, but also it's like, I feel personally attacked. It's too close to home. That is legitimately how I felt about reading Jonah's prayer. <laughs> I mean, the head, so in my Bible, the, the heading for chapter two of Jonah is, uh, is a psalm of thanksgiving, But when you track it, when you track the prayer in chapter 2, it's mostly all about Jonah and what Jonah's interpretation of what, it's Jonah's interpretation of what has happened to him and what he did. So maybe not even really what actually happened, but like Jonah's interpretation of of what happened. So like in verse 3 of chapter 2, he says to God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Okay, first of all, Jonah wanted to be thrown into the sea rather than face God and told the sailors to do it, right? But then he's coming and saying, you did this, like you cast me into the deep. Mm -mm. He keeps going. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? Again, Jonah God did not drive you away. You ran. Um, and and even, even more, in ver- so in verse 8, Jonah is still just exposing his bias towards people he views as religious outsiders. He does it in this, like, kind of humble brag to God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple, Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I, with voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. I read this one commentary uh, of Jonah that posed this idea that 
the fish vomited Jonah up after, after this prayer in the very next verse because of like how insincere and theatrical his prayer was. <laughs> like the fish, like during this prayer, like I'm driven away from your sight was just like building up its annoyance like the whole time through the prayer and finally at the end was just too much and was like, oh my gosh, get out, you know? <laughs> to be clear, the Bible does not say that. I'm not saying that that's the correct interpretation. That's just something I read. <laughs> I mean, this prayer is just, it's frustrating in its humanness, so frustrating to me. It reveals the tendencies that we have, that we have when it comes to acknowledging God. Jonah only prays when he's in distress. Who hasn't done that? Most of this prayer, which is the only prayer in the whole book of Jonah, is about himself and about his circumstances and his actions. Many of my prayers are like this. And then even in his spoken commitment to God, at the end of the prayer, Jonah still finds a way to like lift himself a little bit above others to make him feel better. Again, with like the personal attack, like it's, it's just frustrating to me to read. But, and I'll keep saying it, as frustrating as this is, as problematic as I find this prayer, we still find the same reassurance of God's presence. When we actively turn away from God, God is still with us. When we're in the middle of something and we don't know which way to go or if we want to go a certain way, God's with us. When we are at rock bottom because of things both in and out of our control, God is there. When in our prayers we only talk about ourselves, God is still there. Even when our prayer is self-focused, even when our love for others fails, God's compassion and God's love still know no end. We can offer everything to the Lord, the doubts, the certainties, like Jonah, the empty promises, and then the real stuff too, God remains. What we say or don't say does not change God's proximity to us. What we do or don't do does not change God's proximity to us. Jonah's prayer in all of its problems confirms to us that prayer is not something that we do to get God to come closer to us. Instead, Jonah's prayer reveals to us that to pray is to place hope in the presence of God because God remains. We're praying because we have hope that God hears us because God is close and God remains. And not only does God remain, but in fact, God pursues us. Now that phrase might have a little baggage to it, for some of us, um, the pursuit of God, it does for me a little. Like even the thought that we cannot run or hide from God, depending on how it's said, can turn more into like a um, you can run but you can't hide type deal. But God, with God's presence, is not stalking us. God is not helicopter parenting us. God is not micromanaging us. The book of Jonah is about God's love and compassion. Yes, to those people we don't know or who are different than us, but also to us. I don't want us to miss that. 
Not only did God stay near to Jonah, God was in pursuit of Jonah. Remember in chapter one, when Jonah asked to be thrown overboard, Justin helped us understand that this meant that Jonah would rather die than do the thing God was asking. Jonah was choosing death. It is God who chooses life for Jonah by sending a fish to swallow him. Jonah is pursuing and choosing death. God is the one who chooses life for Jonah. Even when we are bent on choosing death and all the things that that could mean for us in our lives, God desires life and God pursues life for us too. God waits for us and God meets us where we are. And while God does not want us to stay still, to stay there where we are, God does not leverage presence as a means to our progress. Let me say that again. God does ask a lot of us. I mean, look at the gospels, at like what Jesus lays out as the cost of following him. It's a lot. God desires us to move from where we are, but never does God leverage God's presence in order to coerce us to change. Jonah was running from God. Jonah was choosing death. But God met him anyway at his lowest point and scooped him up in a fish. Did God want Jonah to repent? Yes. Did God want Jonah to return to God's purposes? Yes. But did God leave Jonah alone to figure it out? No. God remains. Jonah found hope in the belly of a fish, not because his circumstances had changed, not because he knew what was gonna happen, because he didn't, but because God was close enough to hear his prayers. The God that made the sea and dry land, the God of salvation and deliverance, the God who overcomes death, who overcomes darkness, that God had not left him. John Ortberg is a pastor in California. I was, read one of his sermons on Jonah this week to prepare for today, and I just loved this part of his message on Jonah too. This is what he says. The message of Jonah is a little foretaste of the victory of Jesus, who comes to meet us at the lowest place, telling us that death loses, sin loses, sorrow loses, sadness loses, and joy wins. Where? Death is your victory, and where, O oh, grave, is your sting? God gets the last laugh. This is the story of Jonah. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, Jesus talks about his mission and his purpose, um, and he refers to what he calls the sign of Jonah. So he says that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so he, Jesus, will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now we know that he's referring to the time between his death and his resurrection. This is the sign of Jonah. In the kingdom of God, death precedes life over and over again. But God is there in all of that. John Ortberg offers the same thing like this. He says, Jesus comes and says, 
if you'll let me, I'll meet you at the cross. I'll meet you at the tomb. The third day is coming if you'll meet me. What we learn about God in Jonah repeats itself throughout Scripture. And again, I know that this feels like a really simple message. I actually like um, spun my wheels a bit this week because I was like, this seems too simple, God, I don't know. You love us and that you don't leave us. Um, is that it? I mean, I mean, is that it? But is that it? It just, it feels like such a simplistic, a simplistic thing. But it's, it's so powerful. We talk so much here at our church, which I love so much, about what we do and who we're becoming and, 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 and these, these great things we do. And also, today, I want us to be able to sit and that God is near. God is near to us. And God loves. God loves us. It's like the most cliche, like, Christian sermon to preach. God loves you, and God has not left you. But, but please hear that from me today, to you, from the Lord. God is near to you, and God loves you, and God will never leverage God's presence in order to make you go somewhere or do something. God is near. Last year I saw this tweet. Um, there's a pastor out in New York, Rich Viotas. He sent this tweet. I wrote it down on a post-it and I stuck it on my wall and it's still there. The story of scripture in three phrases repeated throughout its pages. I love you, I am with you, don't be afraid. God, God's presence is continuous and it is persistent. It reaches to the highest of heights and to the lowest of depths. God is not afraid of your darkness. God is not afraid of your selfishness. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of your rejection. God is not afraid of your mistakes. God is not afraid of your failures. God is not afraid of your skewed motivations. God's not afraid of any of that. God has not left you alone. God is close enough to hear your prayers and God continually waits to meet you. God loves you. God is with you. Do not be afraid. Will you pray with me? God, I don't know um, why sometimes the simple message is the hardest one to hear or maybe um, just doesn't seem like enough. I think there's a part of your presence and your love that um, doesn't have anything to do with us and that's hard for us. Uh, there's nothing that we can do to get closer to you um, in proximity. There isn't, we can't work our way towards your forgiveness towards your love, we, that's hard for us. Our hands are busy and that's how we like it. And God, for the times that we just um, see ourselves a bit too much in Jonah, um, who is running from you, um, who's just unable to see you, um, the way that you still want him to. I don't know, we offer that to you too. 
we're grateful, God, for, um, for stories like this. In the Bible and um, in the lives of people that we know, that you are not waiting for us to get all of our mess together. You're not waiting for us to um, be able to like have the right and holy answers that we can take off the weight that we've put on ourselves um, in order to earn you or earn your presence. I ask this morning, God, for myself and for my friends that are here, God, that um, that we would know that you are as close as the clothes that we are wearing and that that would not be scary, but that that would be comforting, that it would be empowering We acknowledge, God, that you are the God who made the sea, who made the dry land. We acknowledge your power and your might. We also acknowledge the ways that you quietly come and are with us, that you were both of those things. We're grateful for that and the ways that we can understand it. Would you open us up, Lord, to your presence And help us to accept it, God.